Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Media Boat Podcast's March Madness Tournament for 2023. In case you missed last time, this year's theme is the Taylor Swift Eras Tournament. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, so um, if you're new to the Media Boat Podcast, um, you might not know, every March celebrating bracket season, specifically March Madness bracket season, we do our own bracket, and it's something in the things that we cover in the media, hence, you know, the boat. This year, we've chosen Taylor Swift's song catalog, specifically songs recorded for her studio albums, no bonus tracks, um, to rank and decide which is the song that triumphs above all. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. And before Taylor Swift goes on her Eras tour, we are going to go back in time and listen to all the eras of Taylor Swift. Yeah. Judging, raking, um, debating amongst ourselves, what are the top songs of each of Taylor Swift's eras? Yes. So this episode is part two of our tournament, our really our tournament setup. We're going to do five total episodes or parts. The first four will be going through four arrows of her records because she has 10 records. It wasn't super easy to divide into four. So we kind of made up our own eras to make this easy. Uh, last week in part one, we explored the first two records in her catalog, which we've referred to as her country era. That would be the debut Taylor Swift and Fearless. This week, part two, we're going to be covering what I have called her experimental era. Um, I think you could also call it breakthrough era, but I think that's even cheating because Fearless is technically her breakthrough. Whatever. Um, but uh, that is Speak Now and Red. And then the third part will be her pop era, which has 1989 Reputation and Lover. And then the final episode or fourth, penultimate episode, episode four, will be the modern era which is Folklore, Evermore, and Midnights. Then wrapping that all up in a fifth episode where we take the four songs that we've determined from each of these eras that are good enough to move on to a 16-song bracket and then decide which is the number one song. So thank you, everybody, for joining us for week two here. And uh, without further delay... Um, let's move on to these, this part two. Let's start talking about, uh, the first of the two albums today, which is Speak Now, uh, released in 2010. Um, Speak Now is notable for a, f a handful of reasons. Um, some better than others. <laughs> what's your overall, I didn't really do this last week, but what's your overall feeling about, uh, the record Speak Now? So I think coming off of Fearless and into Speak Now, it was more of the transition out of the country and into pop. Yes, you could probably say that Fearless was also that transition from country to pop, but this was more so than the previous record. This was her stepping out, getting very away from just being the country girl, mm -hmm. and more so especially with the first single off it being Mine, Yeah, into the pop era. And yeah, I think that that was a conscious choice. Uh, if you read kind of where Taylor's uh, where Taylor was at the time uh, when writing the song for speak songs for speak now, she wanted to break out of that country mold a bit. 
I think she felt limited and constricted by what the genre would allow her to do. And so that's why Speak Now feels a little bit of, like like I put it kind of in this era name, experimental. Uh, she tries all sorts of genres here. And like you said, several of them are pop. There's some rock experimentation here. Um, there's, you know, kind of like she has the traditional Taylor Swift ballads here, but she also has songs that sound nothing like anything on the debut or Fearless. And it kind of plants seeds for what she'll do later in her career, which is just go full pop, full like, or even in the folklore era where she just even throws that out. And she's like, no, this is the kind of music I want to make now. And it starts here. It starts here with Speak Now. Um, It's an interesting record for a couple of other reasons. Another reason is, is that it is the only record in her catalog that she has sole writing credit on every song. She has chosen uh, here to not collaborate with any writers uh, for for Speak Now. And that's why I think it stands out lyrically from the rest of her catalog, because there is no editor here. There was no one in the studio telling Taylor, I don't know, maybe you need a like a tighter bridge or you need to like change the wording of this chorus. No, none of that. And I personally love that about Speak Now. It feels like it's Taylor Swift's psyche kind of unbridled um, in a way. But also, um, it also leads to some real questionable decisions um, that she made on this record. I mean, she was 20 years old. She was kind of coming of age. She didn't really have a great uh, grip as much as she thought she did uh, on some of these concepts. And so some of this stuff hasn't aged well. We'll get to that. That being Yeah, this said, album though, also has a lot of um, songs either referencing people in her past relationships yes. or songs that she wanted out of those relationships. I think this uh, record speak now more so than anything, yeah. especially coming off of Fearless, where a lot of the songs were, even had names in their title, like, Hey, Steven. Right. And I want to mention one last thing about Speak Now that I think colors this album and, a, and really colors the rest of her discography. This is her first record post-Kanye West VMAs incident. Um, so this is the first time that Taylor has seen, like, opposition in a way she went from basically being on top of the country charts in fear the fearless era and speak now doesn't do that speak now doesn't top country charts nor does it get like a breakthrough smash like a couple of the songs on fearless did it's kind of a black sheep in the discography in that way it was not a big deal compared to her previous i mean of course if you see footage like her concert special like that's hard to believe because, I mean, those arenas are packed and, like, of course, the Taylor Swift fans showed up. But beyond that, like, largely speaking, it was not as big of a cultural impact as those previous records. And I do think it's more complicated nature as part of that. And, yeah, it was it's a transitional record, I think, ultimately. It's transitional in the way that it kind of leads you to Red, which is a critical and on like and uh, sales smash um it kind of is the piece of the puzzle that needs to happen for red to happen but we'll get to red so uh yeah with all that context um let's get into this album song by song here so we've got 14 songs to get through yeah so we'll start not her longest Uh record but definitely not her (laughs) shortest either 
So uh, we start here at the beginning with, as you mentioned, mine. And I think it's interesting that you refer to this kind of as a pop single. Um, I don't necessarily agree. I think mine is an evolution of what she was doing on Fearless with Fearless and uh, Love Story. Uh, it's it's kind of the same kind of construction, but I actually like mine a little better than Fearless. Uh, they're similar, but what I what I like about mine is from the jump, Taylor is in full writer's mode. And that's one of the things I really love about Speak Now is that so many of these songs are such so narrative driven and so packed with lyrics, but not like uncomfortably packed. Like I said a little bit last week with some of the songs on on the debut. Um, I think mine is a perfect example of that. Right from the top, you get this very detailed explanation of his her current relationship and like as of the writing of the song. And it's very, it's very, I think, elegantly worded and very descriptive and very evocative of like, and I think it paints a really, really detailed picture. And it has, to me, this song has some of her most interesting lyrics on the record. Um, I really like the idea. Of, I really like the uh, recurring uh, line of, um, um, what is it? It's a, uh, I forget what it is. Anyways, I really like the writing here. Um it's not quite an S tier for me. Um, I have it as an A. It's definitely a good example of this kind of Taylor Swift song. But yeah, just the, the the detailed painting that it does is just really impressive. Yeah, and I put this as an S because this is in both feeling and kind of melody. A direct sequel to both You Belong With Me and Love Story. It continues that country pop crossover that was established previously in the previous record. And with this being the first single from Speak Now before it was officially put on the album, mm-hmm. it shows that she's going in this direction. Now, now that we know she's not necessarily going to stay in that direction. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's almost kind of misleading. It's kind of like a Trojan horse where you think, oh, it's all going gonna, gonna to be fearless too. And you kind of get into the meat of it. It's not really that, um, especially in the second half. The first half, though, yeah, is pretty pretty similar in vibe, and yeah, I, I do agree with you. It's a good evolution of of what she kind of did and established in Fearless, like the this the um ground like, like the ground that she established there. Um, yeah, I like it. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely it's close to being a classic for me for sure. Yep. So we'll put it under the consensus for now. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to this. We'll put it on to go into the second song of the album. Sparks fly. Uh, so I think this is the weakest. The weakest part to me of Speak Now is the having these two songs back to back. They're a little similar to me. However, I think Sparks Fly is slightly better. It's just the drop everything now is such an iconic Taylor moment, an iconic Taylor phrasing. It brings back that kissing in the rain like visual that she loved so much on fearless and like m- brings it to that upper echelon like even extends that out more detailed gives you a more clearer picture of what she's trying to say it is pure emotion and the bridge can we talk about the bridge <laughs> well before we get to the bridge let's keep with drop everything now and the not just the lyrics that are being said but the melody and and the mm-hmm. tone because that's when Literally, the song drops and you just yeah. hear Taylor. Mm-hmm. It's smart. I like it when songs do that, where either <laughs> they say stop 
or drop or like call for a halt and the music itself halts. Yeah. But yeah, and and I love the kind of like the bridge into the the slower part. Um and then it like cranks back up for the end is yeah, it's just mm-hmm. really well constructed. And it's like the having these songs like here and knowing that Taylor had sole writing credit here just reminds you of how much of these songs and how much of the construction of the classic Taylor Swift song is all Taylor. Like it's very easy. And I think it was even easier at the time to just hand wave that and be like, oh, well, she was working with professional writers that were twice her age. Here you can't do that. That excuse goes away in the Speak Now era. And I think that it re- it's a good reminder even now that like, how much of it is Jack Antonoff? How much of it is Max Martin? Like, like that's not a worthwhile con- conversation. You can show people this album and be like, yeah, but she wrote Sparks Fly herself. Like, <laughs> there was no one else there. She is the one who made that momentum happen. And I think it's a really good reminder of when Taylor is, like, on her A-game. She's on her A-game. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great, great one-two punch. I do think they're, like I said, a little too similar, and I maybe would have spaced them out if I was sequencing this record, but it's a classic. Yeah, it's um, moving over to the consensus here. We'll talk more about it when we kind of need to start paring stuff down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. But the hits don't stop there. <laughs> no, this album is nothing but hits, except for like two songs. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. But before we get there, though, back to December. So this was the second single off of Speak Now. Um, she cranks the tempo down. This is Taylor in ballad mode. I think Back to December is basically what she was trying to do with White Horse, but better. It's similar in theme it's similar in tempo but like the writing is just much much better it's such a the chorus is wonderful the da 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 like that that kind of that that pulsating uh rhythm like it really like moves the song forward and it's just a fun sing-along like ballad not a lot of ballads are fun to like you know karaoke but i feel like this one would be it's very melodic and it's it's a really strong Taylor melody. Is it the best ballad on the song? No. We'll get there. But or on the album, I mean. Is it the best? No. I think there's one ballad that's better on this record, but we'll get there later. But I do think Back to December is a really strong version of that story song for her. It's also one of the few songs where she's not reflecting in a bad light or not a bad light, but rather in a good light of wanting to go back to the way things were. Mm-hmm. Most of the songs, especially in their breakup songs, are being wronged, not necessarily going on revenge, but also wanting to move forward. This is one of the yeah. few songs where she wants to go back to the way things were, where she knows that she was wrong and she messed up. In fact, it's I I want to say it's like the one of like uh, only a handful of songs in her entire catalog that does that. You're right. It's rare that Taylor admits she's wrong. I mean, she's a Sagittarius after all. Um, <laughs> so yes, getting Taylor to admit that she messed up is kind of difficult to do. Um, and so yeah, to have a song like Back to December in her catalog is, yeah. Um, and is can we unique. just take a moment to acknowledge the power bridge? <laughs> yes. It's so good. Oh, man. Yeah, it's like it's it's I think it's definitely close to classic status. But again, it's not the best ballad on the record. We'll get there. I know you might disagree with me there, but we'll see. But 
Anyways, so far, first three songs right out the gate, hit after hit after yeah, hit. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one to talk about, to narrow down, I think. All right. So let's get to the title of the album, Speak Now, with the album, with the song Speak Now. This song, this song is also unique in her catalog. Um, I've gone back and forth over the course of listening to this record about whether I like it that much or not. Speak Now is essentially a comedy song, (laughs) which is weird to say about Taylor. She has a few of them. Two of them show up on Speak Now, Uh, but it's not a mode that she often engages in. But Speak Now has Taylor being funny. It has Taylor joking around. It has Taylor imagining a scenario in which she is crashing a wedding. I mean, it was the style at the time. I mean, Wedding Mm -hmm. Crashers came out, what, three years prior? Or something. <laughs> but anyway, it's it's a weird mode for her to be in because yeah, it's 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 jokey. She uses it as, a, as an opportunity to be like to like go into like SNL Taylor almost. And it's kind of strange on a record that otherwise is fairly serious. Um it's alternate reality Taylor, where if she never went with you belong with me and told the guy when they were in high school, here she is now telling him right as he's going to get married. <laughs> yeah. It is a funny scenario, and I think it is well written. I think she gets like, it, it establishes the setup really well, and there are some funny lines in it. Um, it does the classic Taylor thing at the end where it swaps the the perspective, which mm-hmm. I do always love when she does. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I only have it as a B, though, because it's like, it's definitely not a classic in her catalog. It's one of the weaker moments on Speak Now, um, in my opinion, because of how different it is and how jarring the tonal shift is from those previous three songs, and especially into the next song. Um, yeah, that's kind of why I have it as a C mm-hmm. rather than a B, just because the kind of the, the tone and the lyrics, you know, it's a runaway bride song, but it's runaway with the groom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just you're interrupting a wedding. Yeah, uh, and it's not in a like, um, like over the top rock anthem. Like, um, was it Panic at the Disco? Does yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Again, the same era. It's actually yes. funny that you bring that up, and I'm glad that you did because Taylor did say at the time that she was to, like some of the lyric, like the way she approached the lyrics here on this record was indeed influenced by fallout boy and panic at the disco two bands that she really liked at the time and you can hear that a little bit in the writing of speak now so it's i mean you also hear it later in the album with better than revenge yeah yeah definitely there too although that's a little bit more paramore we'll get there yes um but yeah um and yeah you can see it's like that that's the kind of thing she's trying to do here and it's an experiment that i don't know if it succeeds uh here but uh, other than that, I think it's pretty innocuous. I enjoy it. It's a fun little song to sing. But yeah, it's an odd duck compared to a lot of stuff here. So yeah, I don't think we move this on. I think it's an odd just because in the lyrics, talking about Speak Now, when you have two songs prior, the lyrics <laughs> drop everything now, <laughs> which is more iconic of Taylor Swift than the album the titles. Yeah, it's interesting too because even though this 
song shares the name of the record. The record, I think, is not the speak same speak now as the speak now here. I think it's more broad, uh, like you know, standing up for yourself kind of thing. Because uh, I don't think that she's she would advocate this behavior. <laughs> no, um, actually, <laughs> speak now was not the original title she was going for. Yes, yes it's actually a different true. song, and we'll get to that when we get there. Right, yeah, like the part of the, her conscious changing. Well, she wanted to change kind of image here, and that goes with that story as well. I almost mentioned that earlier, but yeah, um, an important piece of Taylor lore right there. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. Speaking of Taylor lore, oh boy, let's get into Dear John. Uh, so to understand Dear John, uh, you need to understand that the whole John Mayer and Taylor Swift situation. If you're not familiar, the rules quick and dirty version is uh, they dated. There was a big date uh, age gap um, and ended badly. And Taylor has written several songs uh, kind of chastising John Mayer and talking about how it was in that situation while dating him, how bad it was and why it should never have happened. Dear John is a good summary of that situation. Its its lyrics describe what a 19-year-old girl often feels when they're dating someone older than them and that pressure and that uncomf- the discomfort that comes with that. And I think it's a classic in her catalog because of it. I think it's really important to her history. It's really important to the artist she becomes later. Dear John is proto all too well for a couple of reasons. Uh, Lyrically, they're similar. Tonally, they're similar. And then also the ending, the way she chooses to end them. Both songs have an incredible climax. The standing, um, the fireworks over his town bit is classic, iconic Taylor moment to me. The I'm shining like fireworks yes. over your sad empty town. Yes, it's it's a classic moment to me. It is it's one of those chill moments, just like what she'll later do in all too well. And it gets me every single time. It's I think an absolute stone cold classic in her catalog. Explain your B, sir. <laughs> I didn't feel that strongly about it. <laughs> it's the song was it's slow it's melodic it's a lot of long dragging words through here mm-hmm. a lot of it is asymmetrically ly- lyrical especially in the verses mm-hmm. even more so in the chorus it feels more like a rant at times than a song and not in a good way for me wow and i may be wrong on that <laughs> It's okay. You're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like that because, again, the record is Taylor in song in like a pure writer's mode. And yeah, I do think you're not wrong that some of it is a little bit run on. Some of it is a little bit verbose. Um, and yeah, and Dear John is definitely subject to some of that style. Uh, but I think it benefits the story being told. You really get to languish in that feeling. Um, I really like how it sounds also like nothing like tempo wise, like and it sounds like nothing else in her catalog. It's very languid. It's very it, like 
really luxuriates in that like slowness. But I like Taylor in this mode and she doesn't do it enough. Um, and yeah, I think it adds to that feeling of discomfort that she felt in this relationship. So do we move it on? I mean, I would personally, but I think your C makes that a really hard argument to do. Or, or sorry, B. It's a B. It's not a C. <laughs> B. I mean, um, hmm. Put it this way. With everything else on this record, everything else we have to go through. It's going to be tough. Yeah. I would probably take it over a couple of the songs we have moved over already. Okay. I'll put it over there for now, but we'll <laughs> see if it... We'll revisit. Re- we'll revisit. Okay. Speaking about things we disagree on. This oh, might yes, be if the, you thought we disagreed on that. This might be the biggest disagreement we might have this entire tournament. Um, and that's over the song Mean. Okay, so Mean. This was also a single off of Speak Now. I think it was probably the biggest single off of Speak Now, which shows you kind of where it was as a record in her catalog. Um, it's very much Taylor and Country mode. It's a very more traditional kind of country song. Um, And I think that's for that's on purpose. It's for effect because it's also a very simple song. It's a very simple song with a very clear directive. It is saying it's basically to Taylor's haters. I mean, she'll say haters going to hate later in her career. But here's where that starts is basically she is laser focused on anybody that tells her that she's not good enough and the song is very broad enough to understand like, oh, this could be anyone. This could be applied to my life. You know, if I'm a teenage girl and I like there's, you know, like girls that are being mean to me, like, well, they're just going to be mean. And I'm I'm over here and I'm just thriving. It's a pretty universal theme. A thing that doesn't work for me, though, is where Taylor's mind was when she wrote it. The song was written after critical reception. She's specifically calling out her critics here and i mean critics in the, like the capital c meaning i mean like newspaper reviewers i mean like internet like music critics uh she felt at the time that she was being singled out because of her singing ability in comparison to other artists being pigeonholed as a country artist it was her kind of bitter lashing out at the critical reception of fearless ultimately and kind of the 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 backlash that happened after uh, Fearless won the Album of the Year Grammy. Um, and to me, knowing all of that has kind of tainted the song because it feels kind of bitter to me. And I don't love bitter Taylor. Um, it just seems like a rumination on like, oh, well... Obviously, they don't know what they're talking about. And I have this problem with a lot of like a lot of artists. Again, I get I get why artists do this, because from an artist's perspective, they look at the job of a critic and they don't understand it like fundamentally, because for from an artist, from their perspective, they're saying, oh, well, this is art. This is not something you can apply a number scale to. This is not something that you could rank. But you see a lot of artists around like list season point this out it's like oh well i don't even understand why we do this anyways it seems antiquated and i, I think mean, that you that's... can see that on ours as well when we talk about the grammys <laughs> yeah. and we try and predict who's going to win a grammy it, right. art is so subjective yeah. especially in music and there's a lot of songs out there uh that are that are doing this and this is taylor's 
this is Taylor's song uh, basically saying like, uh, critics are dumb. They don't, they're like, I, it's a job that shouldn't exist. And I'm going to make fun of this dude specific, very specifically who said, I can't sing. And it just, it's distracting to me and I don't like the energy of it. So that's why I think I have rated it low, but I wholly understand your rating here. And the reason why I say that is because, yeah, I get it. It's a fun song. It is funny in the way kind of like she's trying to do and speak now, but maybe isn't as effective. It's and it's memorable, especially that I can't sing line. It's especially memorable. And it is a iconic Taylor moment in her catalog when she says that, because, yeah, it is kind of her owning the number one criticism of her for the first three records. It's also a song that when she does it in concert, she purposely sings it and lets everything else trail off. <laughs> yeah. Because look at where she is now, standing in front of like big stadiums, huge crowds. Yeah. Fans very... screaming at her like you can sing, clearly. Yeah. It is very funny also that the, the recurring chorus is her talking about how she's going to live in a big old city. And she does indeed move to New York later in her career. Mm-hmm. It is very funny. It is kind of, yeah, seeing into the future in a way. Um, so, yeah, I don't hate it. I just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And it's one of my least favorite songs on the record because of it. Well, I why do... you got to be so mean? Yeah. <laughs> it is, I mean, you said it, it is one of the last country songs that she probably would write and sing. Um, and it is in the vein of All American Rejects, like Give You Hell and <laughs> CeeLo's uh, F You. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Puts a tag. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, we um, explicit here. Yes, so it's in that same vein because it, the way it's written, if even though yes, it is supposed to be directed point towards a critic, it's also written and sung to where it's pointed at anyone who's ever been mean to her, and you can take that out upon yourself to anyone who's ever been mean to you. That yeah, you may be mean to me now, but <laughs> I'll get the last laugh. And yeah. sure enough, she has definitely laughed her way over to several Grammys. <laughs> yes, indeed. Including this song, which won two Grammy Awards. Hey, well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, it works. And I do think, I do appreciate it. And I do appreciate the craft of it. Um, it's just not my favorite song on the record. And you have already moved it on. <laughs> I've already moved it on. It might not go beyond this, but I want to move it on so we can talk about it again later. Fair enough. Well, let's move on uh, to the next song, The Story of Us. And yes, I think this is the perfect example of the Taylor Swift B. Mm-hmm. It is a Taylor Swift song written like a Taylor Swift song that is really well done, has some really good elements to it, but isn't necessarily a classic because there are some other songs in your catalog that do the same thing a little better. The story of us is fine. Um, I think I like it. Um a little more than some of the similar songs in her catalog because of the like the context it comes from. I like the visual storytelling of like, oh, she was backstage at a like at a an award show, and one of her exes was also backstage. And how do you deal with that moment? Like, what do you th- mm-hmm. what are you thinking in that moment? You're probably thinking about, wow, like what about the story that led us here? Like, is it over? Like. And I do like the metaphor here, the whole metaphor of seeing it as a story, like a book and like being separated into chapters of your life with this person. 
Yeah, it's um, a tragedy rock song. Yes, it is. At its core. Yeah, and it's fun. It's high tempo. It's very. It's a very, uh, uh like a uh, fun song. Um, it's there's not really a whole lot to t- say about it beyond that. It's, it's fun. Exor- it's her exercising her storytelling ability, mm-hmm. exercising the pacing, especially when you break down over the different vo- verses. Um, yeah. that she would do better. This is just a training exercise where it feels like. Uh huh. Yeah. Especially in that storytelling, which we'll get better to in the next album. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get there. But yeah. Um, yeah, I like it. There's nothing particularly amazing about it, but it does everything that it mm-hmm. needs to do very, very well. So yeah, I don't think it moves on, but it's definitely a, definitely a fun fun moment on the record. All right. So let's go to the next song, Never yeah. Grow Up. All right. Never Grow Up is Taylor back in nostalgia mode which he visited in the last record on songs like The Best Day and 15. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. I think it's cute, but it doesn't do a whole lot for me. It looks like it does even less for you. <laughs> um, I like the yeah. idea of her thinking about like, oh, like, oh, 14-year-old, you're going to be, like, you're going to regret not being nicer to your mom when she drops you off at school. Like, it's a cute enough thing. It's a cute enough tone but again, the whole concept of a 20-year-old Taylor being nostalgic for five, six years prior is very funny to me. <laughs> so, I mean, you do realize that this is like pre like blow up and post blow up of like <laughs> before she was just like, no, oh, the humble little country girl mm-hmm. trying to make it big. And now the speak now is her breaking out, coming out. But no, I kind of put the same thing in my notes here that yeah. Never Grow Up is more of a lullaby song. And yes, being reflective at 19. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we the- said the same thing last episode, like you said, about both 15 and The Best Day. And it's interesting, too, because uh, that's only a one part of it, because there's two kind of and the things that I think that catapulted a little bit above uh, The Best Day and 15 for me personally uh, is that it is that classic construction that country thing that so- uh, country songs do where each verse is a different version of the same of the title basically mm-hmm. i do like that about it especially the final verse i really this is my favorite my favorite part about the song is when she's now her current age and she talks about like feeling a little lonely and cold and she turns that light on, nightlight on to make her feel better I do like that because it does kind of modernize that storytelling. It was like, oh, now we're caught up to where Taylor is. She's still this person. And she's a little nervous about where her life has gone. And she's kind of scared. Of course, this is before she actually does that and moves, actually does move to New York. (laughs) But she didn't know that at the time. (laughs) Um, So I like it fine. But yeah, it's definitely not, especially compared to the rest of this album. It's too slow and it's a little it's a little boring. Yeah, so let's get to a better song. Oh boy, okay. All right. Um so I'm, I'm just gonna move this over. Yes, might as well, because <laughs> I think that Enchanted is not only maybe the best song on the record, but I think it may be like top three Taylor Swift songs for me. I love Ooh, Enchanted. I love that Enchanted. That is a strong yes. stance right there. It's great because it 
just sounds massive. It sounds huge. It is maximalist Taylor Swift. It is taking everything from the construction of something like a sparks fly and blowing it up even further. This is her one of her biggest sounding songs. And I love also that it's a story of just pure Taylor Swiftian romance. It is so Jane Austen. It is so like, like, you know, that kind of Regency kind of vibe where, oh, I met this guy at the, on the, like, at the dance, at the ball. Will I, will I see him again? Like, I'm literally up up in the middle of the night thinking of wondering if he has somebody that he's seeing, like, if he has a love interest. It's like, it's so pining. It's so yearning. It's so classically romantic. Which works for me because I'm a sap for that shit. And then on top of that, like I said, just sonically, it's just enormous. It just sounds cavernous. It sounds like the you could live in this song. <laughs> like it's just so big. And then that bridge to the ending, the please, oh, just the oh, just that whole line is just incredible, and it works every time for me. And it's foreshadowing too. A lot of t- Swifties like to uh, pair up. The bridge of this song and the bridge of New Year's Day on Reputation because they do parallel each other. It's the feeling that Taylor just Taylor just wants you to know if he if she loves you. She wants you to know that you reciprocate that and she's begging you to not have anyone else on your mind but her. And so it's funny to see her go full circle later in her later in her career and revisit this material. But yeah, Enchanted is a classic. It just sounds incredible. Um, it is the most loved song Taylor Swift <laughs> has written up to yeah. this point. It's super love song. Um, it's just super well done. Just the melody of just that the last line of the chorus. I was enchanted to meet yeah. you, and just and the the the, the driving drums just a that happened a few times. Just they just sound great. I cannot you get Tarcello in the middle. Yes, I cannot wait to hear Enchanted Taylor's version. Can you imagine <laughs> how good that's going to sound in Dolby Atmos? I need to know. <laughs> I need to know. Get to it, Taylor. Put that thing out. Okay, so like with most songs, this song is actually written about someone else. Of course it is. You know who? <laughs> I don't remember. There's somebody in those stories. Uh, Owl City's Adam Young. Oh, right. Yes, they met briefly, and then, yeah. It didn't end up being a long-term relationship. No. (laughs) Honestly, that kind of hurts the song. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not talk about the Owl City guy. Let's move on to the song that follows Enchanted. Okay, so yeah, we'll talk about Enchanted a little bit more later here. Yes. All right. Let's move on to the song that might have the most baggage of any song in Taylor Swift's catalog, which is Better Than Revenge. Um, Better Than Revenge is interesting in a lot of ways. It is completely unlike anything else that she's written and will it's ever read. It's a petty again. revenge song. But it's not only that. There's a lot of contextual reasons uh, why this is an interesting song. The obvious one is, yes, this is clearly Taylor's misery business. Um, she loved Paramore. She's on the record saying that she and Haley Williams were friends at this time. They hung out a lot. Uh, there's theories that she helped her write this song. I believe it. 
I mean, she doesn't have credit on it, but I believe that she was probably like sending Haley a demo at some point and been like, what do you think? Haley was just off of um, Paramore's Black Sheep album in their career. Um, the two, uh, 2009 record, uh, that name is escaping me right now. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Brand New Eyes. And so, yeah, it was like, it makes sense why Taylor would be compelled to write something like this. I mean, yeah, it was the, it was in the air at the time. And yeah, and you bring up bring up earlier, there was some influence from like the same genre from bands like Panic and Fall Out Boy. And this is, yeah, this is Taylor's clear attempt to write an alt-rock song. And I think it largely works in that part of the context works. The downside here, and yes, the recurring, like the reason why this has baggage is because just like Misery Business, it has the same issue, which is that ultimately it boils down to an unfortunate slut shame uh, where she's basically calling out the new girlfriend of one of her exes for, I don't know, possibly being in for it for reasons that she doesn't don't think are pure enough, uh, specifically with that. Um, you know, the whole line about she does better on things the on the mattress. Yeah, that's known for doing things on the mattress. It hasn't aged super well, just like the once a whore, you're nothing more line in Misery Business also hasn't aged well. So for some modern context, um, Haley has kind of done her work to reclaim uh, Misery Business. They do perform it in their tours again. Uh, she has made it a point at the concerts to kind of explain her point of view and being like, yeah, I get it. I shouldn't have written it. You shouldn't call other women whores. Like, don't do that. But we're still going to play the song because I wrote it and it's a big hit. And I know that you guys want me to play it. That's basically the attitude she has towards it. Now, I think Taylor can absolutely do that with better than revenge. Um, probably with less hand wringing than I think Haley Williams has had to do. That being said, I get why she has abandoned it. She does not perform this on tour since the Speak Now tour, uh, because I think she is aware that maybe the politics of it haven't aged super well. But as a song, it's an interesting experiment, and I think it largely works, but it's just a a little too sloppy in the chorus for me. Um, And I think that she does rock sounds better elsewhere here. Yeah, it does at times feel like Taylor therapy. Yeah, it does. Uh, just it needs is, to get it out and rock out to it. And it is bitter Taylor again. Yes. Uh, which... uh, but yeah, it does also feel like a prequel to Bad Blood, which we'll get in two albums from now. It's also totally uh, a prequel to much of Reputation. Uh, it's an early preview, I think, to... That side of Taylor, the vengeful side of Taylor, even which even persists to current day Taylor with songs like Karma and um, especially Vigilante shit Mm -hmm. on Midnight's. So, yeah, it's interesting to see her start that kind of like be in that mode for the first time here. But ultimately, it's just not that great of a song. So let's get to a worse song then. (laughs) <laughs> or rather, let's address the let's let Taylor yes. address the elephant in the room that is Kanye West. Speaking of things that have not aged well, oh boy, innocent might as well be uh, yeah called Kanye West because it is straight up a song in response to what happened at the VMAs. 
I don't need to explain it. You know what happened. Um, but anyway. And if you don't, just Google Taylor Swift via yeah. Maze. Except in classic Taylor fashion, or at least early Taylor fashion, instead of being mad about it, she's instead basically giving him the benefit of the doubt. And the entirety of the song Innocent is basically you're saying, oh, it's okay. Everybody messes up. This was just a mistake. You're still growing up. Even though she really wisely points out that he was a 32-year-old man still growing up. I so, always hey, think Matt, that that's really funny. As a 32-year-old man, <laughs> would you start on the stage of a 19-year-old? No, absolutely not. Anyway, um, but yeah, and so... But yes, because of that, it all feels really weird now, especially with the 2022 Kanye had just completely imploding his public image and just becoming complete, like absolutely inessential for anybody to care about anymore. Like it's completely wiped his legacy and credibility off the face of the earth. So no, Taylor, I don't think we should be giving him the benefit of the doubt. We probably shouldn't have been giving him the benefit of the doubt in 2009, but we did. And this is definitely a relic. It feels like a relic of the time. It also doesn't help that the song is kind of boring and reminds me a little bit of Change, the last song on Fearless, Mm -hmm. where it's just empty platitudes and it just doesn't feel interesting. There's nothing interesting about it. It's, I mean, I I've, yeah, it's just the lyrics. Yeah, they're boring. Yeah, they're boring. It's a lullaby. Okay, so yeah, so even while listening to it, I didn't realize that she was saying, you're still an innocent. Yes. I thought it was, you're stealing innocence. That's funny that you mentioned that, because a lot of people think that she purposefully kind of makes it sound like that. The official lyric is... You're still an innocent. But yes, you could absolutely read into it. And a lot of people have um, that she because that that was kind of the other side of that situation. Right. It's like, oh, well, if you didn't do this, like the story of Taylor would have been very different uh, because it does create this weird back and forth narrative that persists, especially in the reputation era um, about like, who should we believe? Like, who was right in this situation? Which of these superstars is the one we should care about? And it, not to hint at the next song, but it kind of haunts her throughout her career. It, it becomes this thing that is a problem to this day, that snake imagery and all that stuff. It's all because it's all starts here. And it's, yeah, it's sad. It's, it's ultimately just really sad. Um, and so, yeah, Innocent just will forever be a reminder of that incident. And just the fact that it completely is the pivot point. Uh, it just sucks that it's not a better song. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're so there's three more songs on this album. Yeah. And you're gonna have to explain to me why you've given all three of these songs top billing or top ratings. <laughs> Almost. I won't get there. But yes, let's move okay. on to the next one. Haunted. Haunted is kind of to me feels like the B side of Enchanted. They're similar in structure, but the difference is tone. Haunted is goth Taylor, uh, to borrow a term from Rob Sheffield, a Rolling Stone writer. He's the one who does the like, who has done the ranking of every Taylor Swift song things every couple of years when she puts something out. They're fascinating reads. I recommend you go through his recent ranking post midnights of every Taylor Swift song. 
<laughs> and one thing he brings up is that Haunted is Goth Taylor's debut, which I think is hilarious. And it's true. Goth Taylor does appear occasionally uh, after this, but this is where she started. And I kind of love it. I kind of love Taylor in Goth mode. Haunted is a fun song. I love the strings and how dramatic it is. Uh, I love how it ends just like with the never thought I'd see it now. It's just like it's so good to me. Like, And yeah, it acts as a B-side to Enchanted. It's everything that Enchanted does, but slanted and in minor key. I kind of, And that's why I love it. It's just it's great. They're a great pair of songs to pair it up next to each other. And I'm, I like how they're sequenced. Like it gives you just enough breathing room after Enchanted to get hit by this again. This Taylor, this huge Taylor. It's like if Taylor was fucking um, the Phantom of the Opera. This is a song she write. <laughs> no, you're right. This is ulti- this is building on that uh, Taylor rock form, not yeah. the alt Taylor that's been previously in it. In I this love album. it. I love it. It's kind of you could read this as Taylor writing an Evanescent song, but uh, yeah. better in my opinion <laughs> than an Evanescent song. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the whole song is about it's a haunting to let someone go, trying yeah. to let someone go, and just being haunted by their presence, even though they're not there. It is, in a way, kind of like a, re- like, not a, necessarily a reverse, but it's kind of like a, a different tone to the subject matter of Back to December, right? She is, yeah. there is some regret here, but instead of channeling it to um, sadness, she instead is channeling it to fear. Where she's just like, oh, God, this thing, I just can't stop ta- thinking about it. Why won't it leave me? I want to stop thinking about it. And it is that kind of that anxiety part of it, as opposed to Back to December, which is very much regret. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a fragile line. I mean, we'll talk, she'll talk more <laughs> about it. fragile lines and tightrope later. Oh, yeah, it's, a, again, it's, it, she returns to that subject matter later. Um yes. Yeah. I think it's fair to move on. Uh, you have an, an A, which is is fairly high. Actually, I had it a B before, but then I listened to it actually for a second time, oh, yeah. and I liked it better the second time. Just like Enchanted, I'm I am begging for Haunted Taylor's version. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> but yes, next, Last Kiss. Last Kiss to me is a great ballad. I don't know if it's better than Dear John. Like I don't think it's as good as Dear John. But to me, the thing that pushes Last Kiss over the top is the incredible bridge. It's a classic Taylor bridge to me. And I think that's the reason why I have it as an A. I get your B, though. I will understand it. Because the first, like the first handful of times I listened to Speak Now, I was like, ah, that's kind of boring. Um, It's slow. It is methodical. In that way, it is kind of like um, uh, Dear John in that way. But I think for me, just like the aching feeling of that bridge really gets me. Well, just like with Dear John, I also gave Last Kiss a B. And the next song, spoiler, uh, Long Live a B as well. Right. I don't know if it's just about the difference between the long melodic sounds that she would get better at. Oh, yeah. No, I think you're probably where a lot of fans st- like live on some of these songs where it's mm-hmm. like, eh, the slower moments are not are not her in prime form, really, on this record. And I get that perspective. But 
for me, it's just the the it's it acts as like a really good preview of what she'll do with Bridges on Red, and we'll get there. But I do think it's a really strong song, uh, for like tonally. It's well, it also yeah. does play like that nostalgia, like wanting to go back. Yeah. But we don't necessarily have to move it on because there's definitely stronger competitors here. Yeah. Yeah. So last song on the album. Yes. Long Live. <laughs> Long Live is a silly song. It I will is. give you this. It is the most obvious I am ending my record song that she's ever written. It's It reminds me a lot, speaking of Paramore's album, Brand New Eyes, it reminds me of the last few songs on Brand New Eyes, where it's just very clear, like, these are artists who are on tour, that are thinking in tour mode, that want to write a song that they can end their shows with. It's the love, it's a thank you fan song. It is the thank you fan songs, which does exist in a lot of artists' uh, catalogs, especially ones yes. that are built around the tour. And Taylor, for a while, was built around the tour, so this makes sense. Um, but my thing I love about Long Live is that it has that same maximalism that Enchanted does, but the but absolutely unhinged lyrics. I love the lyrics in Long Live. She's fighting dragons with you. <laughs> it's amazing. My, Moving mountains. <laughs> yes. My favorite part, though, in the entire song is the bit where she, she says, um, a bunch of kids with ripped up jeans get to rule the world. <laughs> On paper, it's ridiculous, but for whatever reason, I'm an absolute sucker for it. I love this song so much because of those stupid lyrics like that, where I'm just like, yes, Taylor, yes, stand up for these teens with the ripped up jeans. Absolutely. We will be looking back at pictures of this tour and being like, man, this was the best time of our lives. It's just such an enthralling feeling that I don't care how cheesy it is. It's a cheese that I absolutely here for <laughs> is this also the first time she references her fans as kings and queens yeah i think so which again goes into kind of more fitting early taylor and more what it, what this record would have been if it was called enchanted kind of that mm -hmm. fairy tale mode um and yeah like i think it is kind of like a good capper for the record it does like to me it sends me off on a really way better high note than change does at the end of Fearless. Um, I get, oh, again, though, I understand your lower rating here. It's a little silly. And she does the kind of same kind of thing better on songs like Enchanted and Haunted. I also don't think that it's going to do fair well against the other songs that we've already put forward. Yeah, you're right. And we haven't even gotten to Red yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll get there. But yeah, one last thing I want to say about Long Live, though. The last verse though is interesting because it's a little peek into self-conscious taylor which we don't get really a lot of until lover um it is the taylor of the archer it is the taylor of mirror ball on folklore mm -hmm. we get this peek into will they remember me what will my legacy be um like hey can i rely on you like, whoever she's speaking to, is it her fans? Is it her family? Is it her friends? Question mark. Is her loved ones? But basically her asking someone, hey, will you tell people about me in case I can't? It reminds me, every time I hear it, it reminds me really strongly of, I forget the name of it, but there's a song on Kendrick Lamar's uh, to, to uh, 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 Good Kid, Mad City, where he's also asking that question kind of desperately. 
where he's like, who will remember me? Like who's left after this? Which I think is a very, like, it's a pretty universal theme, but it's especially universal for huge artists. Like huge, like it's something artists think about constantly about like how they will be viewed future generations. It does add this weird little, not bitter, but like bittersweet moment at the end of the song for me, where it's like, oh, she's really concerned about this. Because of course she is. Because it's if you've made your entire career, even up to at this point, even though it was so early in her career, even up to at this point, she was already thinking about like, oh, I've carved a legacy for myself. I am matter. I am important. But what does that mean? And what will that mean in the future? Will they forget about me? Will they stop loving me? I mean, it's also so young into her career of four four years by the time this album comes out. This is the reason why you see a lot of people who grew up being famous at a very young age implode. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the Michael Jackson story, right? To a certain extent is because they have to deal with questions like this at 20. Most people don't have to deal with questions like this and feelings like this until they're 50, you know? Like she's having a middle life crisis (laughs) way before she should. Not even a quarter life crisis yet. She's not even 25. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely like I said, it makes me feel a little bittersweet about the song, which adds to the mystery of it, adds to the intrigue of it to me, which is yeah, why I like it so much. But you're absolutely right. I think as long as Enchanted is here, long live can't also coexist. So yeah. it's fine to not move it on. All right, but we must move on. Yeah, so to recap, so far we've moved on. Uh, from the album Speak Now, Mine, Sparks Fly, and Back to December, those first three, Dear John and Mean, Enchanted and Haunted. So lots of songs to revisit later. Uh, so those are the first seven in. We need eight to move on. And here's <laughs> where uh, Best Taylor comes in? I don't know. So, yes, 2012's Red is an incredibly, incredibly important album in her catalog it is absolutely her pop crossover moment i say pop crossover moment specifically because this is when it's not just enough that she has a number one song this is when she has two number one songs and they're everywhere they're inescapable and it doesn't matter if you're listening to country radio or pop radio you're hearing taylor swift she becomes culturally relevant in a way that she hadn't before uh and like visually like her videos become incredibly important to her career, even more so than before here. And it also is this album that, of course, gives us the consensus pick, I think, at still as of this point, of the best Taylor Swift song. Which we'll is, there. of course, all too well. We'll talk about it. But yeah, um, it's also that all of this is true, but it's also fascinating because to me, Red is also probably her most inconsistent album. It's all over the fucking place. It is her white album. It is her double album. It is her trying to do as many things as possible, try as many things as possible. Some of them absolutely do not work. Some of them are some of the best songs she's ever written. Again, just like the white album. Um, It's a fascinating like centerpiece of her catalog. And yeah, I think it will, for many reasons, be remembered as her peak. I don't know if that's necessarily how I feel about it. Um, I think actually she's peaking now, in my opinion. I think this modern era right now is probably her. You can have multiple peaks. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. Technically true. Um, yeah, I think that I think she's in the creative zone she's in right now is I think probably her best, but the creative zone she was in during the writing of Red is definitely something to behold. And so Red. With Red, it was also kind of why we segment this as the experimental era. You'll yeah. see what we saw in Speak Now with a lot of like rock rock being influenced here um some uh techno being influenced yeah. here oh yeah and some songs Dub dubstep, dubstep taylor appears on taylor this in here <laughs> yeah so red is wildly like you said all over the place and very inconsistent yeah but she's able to play that to her advantage though but uh yeah in, I, I, and how I, the songs I, are i do yeah yeah i do mostly agree um Red's always been a tough record for me because I get why people love it so much, but for me, it's like there's just so many. Personally, there's a lot of skips for me on this record, and I know that a lot of Swifties would be like gasping right now, but we'll get there. Well, I'm gasping up for them. <gasps> <laughs> exactly. However, though, it doesn't start with a skip. Oh no, it starts with a fantastic song, which is Taylor in dot 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 U two mode. <laughs> yes, State of Grace, the power song at the start of an album. I love State of Grace. I love the stupid uh, The Edge guitars. Uh, I love that it's a rock song. It's just a rock mm -hmm. song. She decided, hey, how funny would it be if I opened this album that is purportedly still a country album with a rock song and just didn't care? And that is like the first thing you hear. I think it's brave. I think it's like such a great choice. It's just such a good driving melody. It's such a good. This is probably next to Getaway Car, her best song to drive to. I love being in a car listening to State of Grace. <laughs> it just feels perfect. It feels like it's built for it. Um, I really, really like this song. I like that it's kind of echoey vocals too. She sounds great in it. This is really early example of. Um, of like her really figuring out her voice in a way that she hadn't figured out. I think Red is the moment where she absolutely gets the vocals and just cruises from there on out. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's it's an incredible sounding song that doesn't sound like a whole lot else. It's a rock song that's a different kind of rock song than Enchanted is a rock song, which I think makes it unique. It's also her coming out of the love songs that were in Speak Now and her previous albums, and more focused on her being over the relationships, being stronger because of the relationships that she's had. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of, yeah, it is, it, it, it does feel like kind of like that kind of reclaiming of her life kind of moment in the song. But I didn't give it an S, I gave it a B. <laughs> because this next song just blows the first one out of the water. I mean, yes, you can be right. So we're talking about Red now. Just the power ballad that is Red. The song yes. is absolute fire. <laughs> yes. Reason, it's the name of the album. Yes, Red is the ultimate evolution of the Taylor Swift song as it existed on the first three records. It is the thing that starts with um, that starts with uh, Fearless 
the thing that she refined further with Sparks Fly and then is mastered here. Structurally similar, but at the same time, like you're saying, like you're saying, be- somehow better than those songs. It's so endlessly singable. It's so perfect in its construction melodically. It's fun. It's got really great evocative lyrics. It's yeah, it's it's Taylor with like like firing on all cylinders. It is an ideal Taylor Swift song. It's Taylor Swift also using all the symbolism, especially yes. through color in the chorus. Yes. Also is, lots yeah. of similes, lots of likes in the song. Speak Now feels like homework uh, for Red in a lot of ways. It feels like her getting like 90% of the way there. And then, yes, as of this song, it's very much Taylor, the Taylor songwriting that we know now. Yeah, the over-reliance, you could argue, on simile and metaphor and just being like, well, this is this, especially Colors, which she revisits a lot in her catalog with recurring themes of Red does pop up a lot. uh, Gold pops up a lot in her, her career. You see a lot. And that starts here with Brad. It's very clear that she had a very, I don't know if she has that, what's that thing called? The synesthesia, not synesthesia, but it's the thing where you see music in colors. I don't think she has that, but she definitely writes like she does. <laughs> uh, and that is, yeah, it's synesthesia. Okay. All right. Yeah. Or I synesthesia. don't think she actually has it. But she definitely thinks she does um, because it's, yeah, it's like definitely something she revisits a lot. But yeah, uh, Red's a classic easily. It's probably, I don't know. I love how State of Grace opens the record, but I could I could see an argument for this should be the first track. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, it's an incredible, incredible moment of Taylor songwriting. Yes. Also uh, the reverb on Red. Red. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool production. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool experimental stuff like that on this album that yep. we'll get to. It's true. So let's move on to track three here. Treacherous. I do not understand when I see people saying that Treacherous is a skip. It's absolutely not a skip. Because just like Last Kiss, that killer bridge is what makes the song. This is like one of my favorite Taylor Bridges is on this song. And I love that it sounds so it's, it's taking that kind of slower tempo, but it's like making it matter in a way that I think maybe the songs that she tried that before don't. It's just such a good, like vibe kind of creeps up on you. It does definitely creeping up, but I also liked it better the second time. I think I rated this a speed of a C before. Or yeah. it moved up to an A. It's definitely a grower. Oh yeah, but it's definitely definitely. It also, kind of lyrically felt that like the same kind of song as the next one. I knew you were trouble. Yeah, but just the the momentum of that bridge, though, and I'm glad she is able to do it twice because up until that point, it's kind of unclear if there is a chorus in the song because the chorus is so similar in in like in style to the. Uh, to the verses and it's not until you get to that bridge where it's like oh shit no this is going somewhere else it's like kind of like it gets you climbs and climbs and climbs the roller coaster and then it lets you slide down it just the da 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 and the, of course the da 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 oh, it just works so well for me i really really like 
the the way that that bridge just feels as it goes through it. It is like a slope, a treacherous mm-hmm. slope. Yeah, but you have to build up to go down the slope, though. Yeah. It does do that in the song. You're not wrong, especially with the da 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 da. Yeah, it's good. It's good shit. It definitely sounds like a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, lyrically, though, I mean, yeah, it's retreading some ground she's already been. She's like basically having second thoughts um, about the relationship and where it's going, whether she should continue because it is a treacherous, treacherous journey, but uh, she likes it. It's fine. She likes it. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's treacherous. It's moving fast. It's unknown territory. I think we could move this on, but I just don't know if it can hang. Well, put it this way. We've already put Red from this album over, and that's what's going up against. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Well, let's continue. Um, Move on to the first of the big crossover hits on Red. I Knew You Were Trouble, and also the most 2012 song in the album, because here she is, everybody. It's Dubstep Taylor. Na 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 na. <laughs> yeah, the the drop is ridiculous. I can't believe. It. I mean, even at the time, it was like, "What? That there's a drop in a Taylor Swift song?" <laughs> it was kind of mind bending then, and it's still kind of confounding now. It's such a weird choice. It's so of its time, and that's why I can't really advocate too much for it. Because I think it's fine. It's just it's a decision that makes sense in 2012, and it does not make sense any other time. So uh, yeah, well, I had this initially as like an A, yes, this is a good song. Yeah. We're moving this over. Don't question it. <laughs> and I came back and I really listened to it. And Heim has not done this song too well. No, it is not aged as well as some of the other pop songs on her on this record, even. I think, for example, like to compare it directly to 22, which I think is the best comparison mm-hmm. there. 22 is the better song. It's aged a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, I knew your trouble is definitely a product of its time in a way that a lot of t- most Taylor Swift songs are not. She's typically a pretty timeless writer. She doesn't let trends take control. And this is the one moment of weakness, I think. Not to say that it's bad, but also the other thing that kind of hampers my enjoyment of it. I can't for the life of me not think of stupid screaming goats when I yes. think of this song. Screaming goats. The memes. Uh, the memes <laughs> around the screaming goats screaming along to I Knew Your Trouble were everywhere at the time and they persist on TikTok now and I'm just like alright we did oh, this has guys. it been 20 years are they reverting back to it it didn't even take Is 20 it... years it's already nostalgia it's already uh, cyclical coming yeah, back the 10 year nostalgia got to it um, yeah I don't know it's a fine song but yeah she does pop better later and um, it just doesn't sound great now I mean, I like how it's reflective, Taylor, of, yeah. like, I knew it was trouble, so shame on me now. It's this Taylor will pop up again, uh, yes. especially in the pop era. Anyway, let's move Anyways. on, though. It's time. I, I like it. It's a fun song. But yeah, yeah I don't fun. think it's one of her best songs. No. But what absolutely is one of her best songs is, of course, the modern classic All Too well five this... minute version <laughs> yeah five minute version <laughs> if you will um all too well is yeah there's a reason why it has a reputation no pun intended as being probably her writing her peak 
um, whether you're talking about the original or the 10 minute version, which we're not talking about here, both songs are Taylor in complete writing mode. This is the Taylor of Dear John. This is the Taylor to me of uh, Mary's song, Oh My, My, My. This is a Taylor that wants to tell you every detail in a room. She wants you to know exactly how she feels, exactly the context around it, all the players in the play, and why that matters. It's also the Taylor that wants you to know even the smallest details matter more than you think. That scarf is important. And she wants you to know how important that scarf is. It's incredibly important. And that's why she revisits it. All Too Well feels like a short story more than it does a song in a lot of ways. It sounds, it just happens to be a short story that is put to music. And a lot of Taylor songs do that, but not really as much in this era. This is the first time that it really feels like, oh, this is the song, this is the kind of song she was born to write. And it's the reason why I think Folklore was such a brilliant pivot for her, because it's an album, well, and if you include include ever Evermore, it's an album or albums full of this idea, of this version of Taylor's songwriting. And I think that's why it resonates so much with people. But of course, that climax, that beautiful climax of that song is, I still think, the best moment uh, in her career. It's that, just that, ugh, ugh, just, it just, just the way that it builds to that final bit just breaks me every single time. A crumpled up piece of paper lying here. Ugh. Just, it's such an incredibly visceral visual. It just makes you feel exactly what she was feeling in that one. So I have only one note written here. Okay. And it's no notes, and that's a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the most no-note song in her career. It's just like, I don't know why you would ever, like, there's nothing to question here. Why, why would you continue writing after this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most 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 artists would be like, well, I did it. I wrote, I wrote my best song. Like, I'm done. Would you consider this her long and broken road? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. It's similar to oh, sorry, the long, the long and winding road. Winding road. Yeah, yes. it's it's similar in its expansiveness and its storytelling. But yeah, but but long and winding road road doesn't have lines like, like, like oh, just some of the lyrics in this thing. Like this uh, time just, won't fly like I'm paralyzed by it. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy. It's the Taylor Swift song for a reason. It absolutely has to move on here. And I wouldn't be surprised if it takes this whole thing. Hey, hey, hey. We still have <laughs> <laughs> I see you down and out with your lying little piece <laughs> of the world. But yes, we could have been getting down to the sick beat of the next song, which is 22. Which is not the, the song that you're referencing. Weirdly. No, it is not. No, that song <laughs> I'm referencing is on the next album. <laughs> However, uh, 22 is where that starts. 22 is the seed that 1989 grows from. Yes. It is the thing yeah. that gives us Pop Taylor. Um, because it's Taylor figuring out, oh, I can write a straight up pop song. Um, and not have it have the crutches of, I knew you were trouble, the, the trendy crutching. Like you know, here, she doesn't need that crutch. She can write a pop song herself. And it's catchy. And the the video is memorable, and just the vibe of it is super memorable. It was a piece of time that everybody can look back of. Has some of it become incredibly cringe-inducing? Yes. The whole dress-up-like-hipsters bit at the beginning is extremely 2012 and doesn't play like it did then. That being yes. said... That being said, the, al- the song itself is more of an anthem to being young 
yeah. um, and that easily impressionable. And it is a like a party anthem of sorts. Yeah, it is to being that young, being twenty two. Because guess what? At some point, most people are going to turn twenty two. Yeah, and they're going to be want to go out, like celebrate everyone. Like all their friends are now twenty one. Now mm-hmm. we can go out and we can party. Yeah, it's 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 a timeless timeless message of youth and and like feeling just with your friends, just having a fun time while you can, like enjoying it. It reminds me a lot of some a lot of contemporary pop music at the time. You know, the catalog of Kesha comes to mm-hmm. mind with Twenty Two. Just the idea of like, well, this is our chance to dance because the world might be ending anytime soon, which was the early twenty tens, twenty twelve. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, it was definitely part stupid of stupid mind zeitgeist. calendar. It was both part of the zeitgeist, but also Taylor enough and awkward enough in that Taylor zone, uh, in the way that she is often very awkward. That it doesn't feel like it was chasing trends. It feels like it was just part of a zeitgeist. Um, but for me, Pop Taylor doesn't do a whole lot to me, with some exceptions. And so yeah, that's why I have it as a C here. It's definitely a good version of that kind of vibe, but it's just not for me. And I think that for this record, it's a part where I'm just like, all right, this is fine, but I just don't have strong feelings about it. I know why you don't like it. The Max Martin hook. I mean, I do love He's Max everywhere Martin on this album, but more so on this song. Yes. You, you see why Taylor chose to work with him because of songs like this. Whereas, like, she had a pop sensibility in mind, and she wanted to work with the guy that you get for pop sensibility. And yeah, it's a very Max Martin song. It's yeah, which I like Max Martin. Like, don't don't color color me as a as a, a hater here. Uh, it's just that Taylor is not his, you know, protege as much as I think Taylor thought she was at the time. We'll get more into this when we talk about 1989 next week. A record that I. Definitely think has not held up as as, as much as think people think it has, but for now, um, yeah, twenty two is fine. But I just don't, I just don't see it making it. Uh, I want to move it on just so we can talk more about it, but <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be better than Red All Too Well, Back to December, Mind Sparks Fly. Yeah, does it hold up against songs like those? There's some strong competitors here. Yes. All right. Well, in that case, let's move on to a snorer uh, called I Almost Do. So with the thing with the the thing that you take a risk with by making a double album or an album with a lot of tracks on it is that you have the uh, the danger of recording something that is called filler. I'm not necessarily saying that Taylor called it that, but I'm calling it that. (laughs) And I Almost Do is Taylor Swift filler. But hey, because she's Taylor Swift, even her filler songs are all right. I do think that I almost do is all right. I think it's fine. It's an okay Taylor, uh, a Taylor ballad. It's got an okay chorus. The, uh, the kind of anything in me not to call you is like a fine hook, but it's like not surrounded by a whole lot more interesting things. And thus it's the best example, I think on this record of a skip. I think it works. Because it's a str- it's a song about struggling to stay broken up. Yeah, it's a song about internal struggle of we're broken up. We need to move on. I need to move on. I don't want to, but it's killing me to move on. Yeah, but to me though, like it's, it's just a so very s- specific yeah. feeling though. It's pretty simple, and honestly, it's something that could have appeared on the debut record. 
That's kind of mm. where I'm at with it. Where it's just like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But it doesn't... It's fine, but I do think that it works well as a lead into the next song. Yeah. Which is, we are never getting back, never ever getting back together. So another huge hit. Uh, iconic song. An iconic song iconic. with an iconic video and sensibility to it. It is a moment in Taylor history, just like 22 was. I like it slightly better than 22, but I feel mostly about the same about it. But yes, the Wii is super memorable, and it's it's definitely, yeah, it's hard to separate it from the song because of just how memorable that is. Um, and the, yes, the never, ever, ever is fun. The bit where she giggles to herself is cute. Um, like, ever. Like, it's a fun song, again, that has that youth to it, just like 22 does. It reminds you, it's like, oh yeah, she's still this young girl. Um, kind of having these young girl problems. Uh, but again, Taylor and Pop Mode doesn't do a whole lot for me, but I get why you've rated this so high. Because uh, this is better than 22. That's why. Mm-hmm. It's iconic. It's de- Taylor being a, in a declaration song, being affirmative here, being we are not getting back together. It's yeah. her no longer pining after someone. It's just the definitive no End of end of song. And I'm going to tell you why it's no. Because mm-hmm. we are <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever getting back together. Yeah. And then there's like, the cute moment where it just breaks down and it's like, where it just she just talks through it in the bridge. Right. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. She's clearly having a lot of fun recording it. It's memorable. It's got a good hook. Um, it yeah. also does the one thing that I like, which is the song cuts out. Yes, it does. Right, right at the end funny. of that bridge of weird, like, ever. It is a little bit of that dubstep sound returning from I Knew Your Trouble. It does happen a little bit here. Um, which, to me, loses its points. But <laughs> uh, I think it's fine. Yeah, you can move it on if you're so strongly, feel so strongly about it. But it's not going to last long. I'm going to warn it, you. It probably won't last long. But between this one and 22, it's the better yeah. of the two songs. It is the better of the two songs. All right. Uh, now on to something, which this one I feel is, hey, remember Speak Now, Taylor? Remember Mean Now? Mean Taylor? Well, she's back. And Stay, Stay, Stay. Another song that's like, I don't know if it's aged that well. It's Taylor in country country mode again which is why I brought up those two songs. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very much in that mode, um, unlike a whole lot of this record. And and kind of a regressive kind of story, in my opinion, of, yeah, we're going to fight, but like I'm going to be obstinate, even though you're clearly being an asshole, and I'm going to make you stay anyways. And because obviously we can't break up. Why would we do that? It just has weird vibes to me. It's just like, clearly, they have issues. That instead of working through it, she's just begging him to not leave. <laughs> well, it's the hope for the ideal relationship. It's what she wants a relationship mm-hmm. to be. She hopes that you'll stay. Yeah. But that chorus, though, of saying three words three <laughs> times. Stay, stay, stay. Yeah. Time, time, time. 
Mad, mad, mad. Stay, <laughs> stay, is... stay, stay, stay. I will say one thing about it. It is incredibly catchy. It uh, is. It does get stuck in your head. But it just, mm, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just, it bugs me a little bit how will it, how willing it is just to dismiss it's kind of hand wavy hand wave the song to me it's like eh, whatever we'll get through it just like say or stick around don't go anywhere we're fine we're fine i just don't uh, believe I... you i don't believe you taylor <laughs> you're not fine you're not fine especially if you say stay 18 times in two courses also towards the end also, my, do you really want them to stay? Yeah, and the big question, of course, that's always been on my mind every time I hear this song: Do you think the football helmet story is real? That something actually happened to her, or did she completely fabricate that? Where she, where he came back with the football helmet on? Yeah, or the guy thought it was such a funny bit to put on a football helmet and be like, "All right, I'm ready. Let's have this argument." <laughs> it's so stupid that I feel like there's no way any human being actually did this. No, not many people actually still own a football helmet. <laughs> or if they do, it's signed and it's in a trophy case. Yeah. This guy, just to assume, or we, we just left to assume, Taylor, that your boyfriend at the time had a football helmet at arm's reach that he could just put on. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. Stay away, stay, stay, stay is fine. But yeah. It does remind me of that Speak Now vibe where I'm just like, eh, it's silly, Taylor. It's fine, but it's just not. It's just not that memorable. Yeah, I like the lyric. I mean, I like not the lyrics, the melody. Yeah. But it's not moving on. No. All right, let's talk about something else that's not moving on. And uh, the subject of, yet again, the guest appearance on a Taylor Swift album. Snow Patrol! The last time. Yes, hey, remember Snow Patrol? Well, the guy from Snow Patrol is on this song. And that in no way makes it any better. In fact, it maybe makes it worse. The last time is so boring, so slow, such a slog. It is the song I skip every time I listen to Red. I don't bother with it. I skip it every time. Because I'm like, I just don't want to hear Snow Patrol guy and his weird ass voice. Because it does not meld well with Taylor's at all. They don't harmonize well. It just sounds weird. And it's just so boring i just don't get it oh, no, that's the one note i hear here besides it being still patrols that the harmonies do not match no. at all the worst part is when they start battling each other with the oh, oh, oh it's just like no both of you stop i don't need this i don't need this right now yeah, <laughs> she, she's fighting her relationships and on the songs <laughs> yeah exactly we don't need to have a battle you're not Celine Dion, like, and people Bryson here. Like, come on, Taylor, stay in your lane. Like, this is not the kind of song you should be making. And sure enough, she learned her lesson because you don't see anything like this for the rest of your career. The closest, uh, well, I guess the you natural, get, um, folklore with Exile. Yeah, you cl- the closest you get are the duets that she does with Boney Vare, but she's very like careful with how they interrupt, like, like how she interpolates her vocals with Boney Vare's. And often they're not really harmonizing that much. And I mean, we are, know she didn't do it with uh, Lana Del Rey. Right, exactly. She's just <laughs> kind of hanging out back there in the background. Um, so yeah, once again, the guest spots, I just, like I said, with um, Colby Calais on Breathe on Fearless, the guest spots have never been the best songs on on Taylor Swift records. And this is just another example of that. 
uh, we'll mm-hmm. revisit this concept later on the cell phone. Uh, yes, and a couple more songs. Yes. But for right. now, yeah, last time uh, gets to stay here, and we'll talk about it for the last time. <laughs> All right. So let's step onto some Holy Ground then. Yeah, Holy Ground. This song's fun. I like this song. I like how fun it sounds. This is like the flip side of uh, Stay, Stay, Stay for me, where it sounds like Taylor's having fun, but also it's paired with a really good lyric and it's paired with a good hook. And I really like the vibe of it. It's, yeah, it's a very upbeat song. You know, it's a song about dancing and celebrating the relationship. She doesn't have a whole lot of these kind of songs. Yeah. A lot of them are like breakup songs or getting over songs. It's, it's a, so to see one yeah. actually work out, it's a nice change of pace. I also like how it's one of the few Taylor Swift songs where she really lets the instrumental ride at the towards the end. She kind of just rides it out into a nice, like, even like bridge at the end, where it's just she lets those strumming strumming guitars go. And it's fun. It's Taylor really engaging with her band. I bet this was a lot of fun to see at the Red Tour because of just how much fun she probably was just having grooving. Um, also, an interesting note here, I always think about um, it compared to Cornelia Street on Lover. They're both Ooh. celebrations of a specific location that she associates with a relationship. But Cornelia Street takes almost the like fearful version of the same story which instead of just reveling in the joy of it she's saying yeah but what happens if we do break up am i ever going to be able to return here and so they work as kind of opposite sides of the same coin for me uh but yeah i really like holy ground but it's probably not strong enough to move on yeah but we both gave it a's yeah i just don't see it lasting that long i mean i guess move it over just in case but like we'll move it over for number's sake but yeah yeah there's stronger songs (laughs) for sure i do like it all right now let's talk about a often maligned song in taylor's discography some people like to call this a skip and i think they're wrong sad beautiful tragic is taylor swift's mazzy star song and i'm gonna nerd out a little bit i love mazzy star Mazzy Star is a classic band. You might know them for the classic 90s hit, Fade Into You. Or song that was in the Gears of War ad, Into Dust. <laughs> <laughs> Their classic uh, classic 90s era, kind of shoegaze-adjacent alt-rock uh, band that I really like a lot. And this is absolutely Taylor's try at something that's similar it does have that languid, languished kind of slowness to it, but it just sounds beautiful. I love the instrumentation, the softly plucking, like the soft plucking compared like with their voice, the kind of haunting O's in the background, which every time I have to remind myself that it's Taylor because it just doesn't sound like any vocal she's ever recorded before or since. It's just this ethereal, ghostly kind of vibe that's nothing like anything else that she it's, has. Yeah, it's definitely this ethereal sound throughout yeah. the song. But it did kind of slowly try to put me to sleep. A lot of people say that, and I get it. Yeah. But it's not the last time she will do something like this. It's almost like a little bit of a preview to some of the stuff that she tries in the folklore era. Um, And yeah, I think it's 
I think it's really strong. Uh, I really like it, but I can understand why people think it's boring. It's stretching. It's not flexing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, so it probably doesn't move on as much as I like it. Yes. So let's go to the next one. The lucky one. Ah, oh, the lucky one. I love the lucky one because again, it's 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 nostalgia Taylor with a different twist. It's nostalgia Taylor saying like basically telling a story. It's one of the first examples of Taylor's telling a story about someone that's not her, right? Like that was the narrative around folklore's release, where it was like, well, these songs aren't all about me. Like I want to be able to stretch my songwriting ability and write about other people, about these characters that I have in my head. And the lucky one is the an early example for trying this out. And I think it's pretty successful. You could read it potentially as like maybe some of the concerns that she had in her career at the time, which I'm sure only strengthened as she continued. Uh, reference one being the Miss Americana documentary on Netflix. Um, if you want to see this Taylor kind of and her anxiety about fame on the big screen. Uh, but it's the first peek into that, like interiority that we see is in the lucky one. And yes, everybody points this out is thematically extremely similar to Britney Spears's song lucky Mm -hmm. and that's not a coincidence I'm sure I'm sure that Taylor was thinking about lucky when she wrote the lucky one both have that kind of theme about like a celebrity maybe think rethinking about what their like relationship to celebrity is what does fame mean to you and every every celebrity reaches this point at some point and it's also again Taylor revisiting that the that structure of the three verses refer to three different things, mm-hmm. and I really love the last one again, where it comes almost to this realization, this alternate universe, if you will, where Taylor hung it up and was like, actually no, and I love 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 the like to me it's a classic Taylor line, choosing the rose garden over Madison Square. I love it every time. It's just such a smart lyric to me. It just. I just, I don't know how she, I just don't know how a human being can write that. <laughs> it's perfect. It's just a perfect, perfect lyric. Um, I really like it. Um, but. Yeah, it's funny that you point out that line because she will use that um, type of writing later mm-hmm. in her career where she won't fully say what it is, <laughs> but there's enough clues around to tell you. She won't fully say Madison Square Garden. Yeah, but because she used his garden right before it, right, you put two and two together very easily. It's clever, and it is also like like I kind of mentioned with uh, with long live. It visits that anxiety that she has about what she leaves behind and whether it's worth it. Um, and the fact that she asked that question at twenty at twenty two is pretty crazy. <laughs> but that's Taylor for you. She always older than she is like you take her current age and you add like five and that's actually how old she is all right i know we're running long here yes we are <laughs> we gotta wrap this up it's dinner time we have a couple a few more songs that we need to talk about before we wrap up all right let's get it cheering in here ah uh, yes on everything has changed or what i like to say the hallmark movie of chris of taylor swift songs it just feels like a Hallmark movie to me, down to the Ed Sheeran vocals on it, which are fine. He's fine in this, but he doesn't add a whole lot. They harmonize better than she does with uh, Snow Patrol guy, that's for sure. Uh, but ultimately, he's not needed. 
And it's also very Ed Sheeran of the time, too. Like, a year or two after this, Ed Sheeran would completely pivot how he sounded. He was no longer acoustic guitar guy. But for now, he was in 2012. And it was the time to get Ed Sheeran on a Taylor Swift song. Um, he will return. Ed Sheeran will return in later Taylor Swift songs. But for now, <laughs> he's here. And um, yeah, I just think it's a little quaint. It's basically just like... Um, it's it's fine. Like it it was everywhere yeah. when it came out because Ed Sheeran was everywhere, Terrence was, was everywhere. It's almost as if this was manufactured to be everywhere. Yeah, I just yeah. I don't but have... Taylor just overpowers him. Yes, especially on the duets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. I like how different of singers they are and will become even further later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a nothing of a song for me. I get why you have a B here. You probably like it slightly better than I do just because of how like how much of a hit it was and how iconic it was at the time. Yeah. That doesn't sway Well, I had it as an A before, but I yeah. downgraded it to a B. There's some, there's some all right lyrics in it, but ultimately yeah. it's it's fine. It's just fine. It's just fine. All right. Uh, two more songs on this album. Yes. Penultimate. Starlight. I love Starlight. Yes, you do. This is 22 Taylor if 22 Taylor and her friends went to the club and just was like and just losing themselves in the moment of the music and just what was going through her head when she's like just spinning around on that floor and just being like I'm having the most fun in my life. And you can feel it. You can feel it in the songwriting. You can feel it in like the, the tone of it. It's also the debut of Great Gatsby uh taylor which appears several times later on reputation well Uh, it's a song about was um ethel and bobby kennedy yes and she clearly sees herself in that vibe she loves that era um it references kind of several different eras of classic americana Mm -hmm. whether it be the 20s of gatsby or like you're mentioning like the 60s of the kennedys it's very or even the 40s kind of the big band era there's a lot of nostalgia happening here for times way before taylor swift's time but on top of that it's just a fun pop song it's just fun song to just revel in i love the like the synthy sounds that she doesn't use a whole lot in her catalog but they're here and they're kind of like like alien sounds coming in and out of this song this is almost the a side to the b side that is 1989 bonus track new romantics another song i really love uh Mm. from her from her uh repertoire and yeah they both are just about reveling in the night and i like that for taylor yeah but this is reveling in the night of the past whereas 22 on the same album is reveling in the night in the now yeah i agree i just like how this sounds better it almost sounds like a um not necessarily an evolution, but it definitely shares DNA with Enchanted. And there's not a whole lot of songs on Red that do. And the fact that there is at least one remnant of that era of Taylor songwriting that feels like like lives through that, I'm happy to see it. But does it move on? No, probably. Not if I'm being realistic, but that's fine. As good as it. you think it is, it doesn't hold up to the other stuff we already have. I can lose it. Yeah, it's fine. All right. 
And then do we have to talk about Begin again? No, not really. I mean, everything has changed is might as well just to have to play it again because Begin Again is such a similar yes. song, um, except sans Ed Sheeran. Um, it's fine. It's cute, I guess. And I do like the idea of ending a song with the words Begin Again because you know that that CD is just going to start again and it's going <laughs> to play the red from the top again. And that's clever. I wonder if Taylor, I'm sure Taylor realized that. Uh, yeah, so we but are except when you begin it. again, you go right into a state of grace, loud, raw, yeah. bombastic song. I like that. I like that idea. Uh, but yeah, uh, begin again is such a, yeah, it's a fluffy nothing of a song. It doesn't do a whole lot uh, in general. And it is, yeah, again, kind of that Hallmark movie kind of feeling for me where it's like, yeah, the the I see where she's getting at, but it's just not... She's retreading some ground. It feels, again, like filler on a record that has a handful of songs that feel like that to me. All right. So, speaking of filler, we're done with it. <laughs> We've right. gone through all the filler songs okay, for so. this uh, episode. And now we need to figure out the top four to move on. So we have 12 total songs that we've moved on. And starting from the top, from Speak Now, we have Mine, Sparks Fly, Back to December, Dear John, Mean, Enchanted, and Haunted. And then from Red, we have Red, All Too Well, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, Holy Ground, and The Lucky One. So, I think probably the easiest way to start here is by eliminating ones we don't think can hang in the bracket. So, no Mean, no matter how much I want to talk about it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't think... No mean, Holy Ground, no The Lucky One. Yeah, I think you're right. I think those are the first three cuts we can make. Yeah. Lucky One, Holy Ground, Anything, and Mean. Okay, so All Too Well is probably just going to be an automatic move forward. Yeah, we should... Yeah, All Too Well is a lock. Probably same with Red? Red is a lock. All right. I'm going to say Enchant... I will argue that Enchanted is a lock. Okay. So, so that is three of the four slots gone. Taken then. So maybe it'd be easier if we just try to determine what that fourth lock is. So the last song we have on Red is We Are Never Getting Back Together. An iconic uh, Taylor song. Yeah, it is. But does it hold up? It's not the one I would pick here. Um, like, all right. considering all of these, I think I'll give you my pitch and feel free to disagree with me. I disagree, but go ahead. <laughs> I know you only have it as a B, but I think my fourth lock is absolutely has to be Dear John because of its importance in the Taylor canon, how it's a like an, a proto version of All Too Well. It just, to me, it's the most Taylory song out of all of these, and I think it, it should move on. But in its absence, I will accept. Um, I will accept Sparks Fly and it's as its replacement. So we have mine, Sparks Fly, Back to December, and Haunted. Yeah. We need to pick one. Yeah. I'm okay. Or we lose. Well, I don't know. We don't lose red or all too yeah, well or no. enchanted. I think those locks will stay. I think that you're I think what what we have is is we'll have to determine what's left. I yeah, I don't I, I think basically what I'm saying is I think you cut mean I think yeah, you we've cut already haunted. cut mean do we cut oh, haunted it's still there 
That's yeah. why I'm confused. Um, I think we cut haunted because I think if you have enchanted, you don't need haunted. Okay. So you're um, left with three, two big, loud fire song, rock songs. Yeah. And then back to December. Yeah, I really like back to December, but I don't think it makes it. I think we could cut it. All right. So at least mine and sparks fly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would go Sparks Fly, but I know you would go mine. Yes. I would be okay with mine. I would be able, because those songs are similar enough to me where I'm like, yeah, I can understand the argument for mine. So with mine, it is, like I said, a direct sequel to You Belong With Me and Love Story, both of which we have already moved on. That's true. And I do like how it's very, it sets the table for Taylor is older now. Like, it's a live-in boyfriend, and we're dealing with parents, and, like, we're talking about, like, baggage, and we're, like, getting everything on the table. Like, I do like that it's kind of a really good intro to 20s Taylor. Like, this is what I'm dealing with now. Yes, Um, but then we have uh, Sparks Fly with its asymmetrical verses and its pop rock, eh, pretty sexual lyrics. Yeah, I think Sparks Fly is probably, to me, a better song than mine. But it does less with the Taylor Swift story, um, where it is just a another version of Fearless, but slightly older. So, yeah, I guess I will. Yeah, maybe for the sake of this bracket, I can understand picking mine over Sparks Fly. Oh, is that the way you were going? Because I was going to go Sparks Fly over mine. Okay, what's your argument then? Because we already have You Belong Me and Love Story, uh-huh. whereas mine feels more like it belongs in that kind of country era, the fearless mm-hmm. era, where Oof. Sparks Fly is more experimental. Oh, but I just had a thought, though. Yeah. Should we have you Sparks both? Do we have Sparks Fly and Red? Because oh. I feel like Red is an even better version of that. Maybe the move actually is... Oh, this is tough. Yeah, I say I'm still thinking mine over Sparks Fly because Sparks Fly, it feels to me, it has so much shared DNA with Red. Mine is a different kind of song. And I think that it moves that story ahead. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, they're both good in their own right, but we can only pick yeah. one. We have to pick one. We're it's, running out of time here. It's tough. It's tough. I'm going to say mine uh, out of out of the songs that are remaining. Should we get a third impartial opinion here? <laughs> if, 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 they're, if they're available. Uh, they are available. Okay, we have a third (laughs) impartial opinion on its way. Okay. A very Taylor Swift um, loving fan (laughs) who is on this particularly for these albums. So we have come to a standstill between picking between Mine and Sparks Fly. Red is in, right? Oh, yes. No. Red, All Too Well, and Enchanted Aria. We're trying Enchanted? to... Why? Oh. 
How dare you? How dare you? Enchanted, <laughs> make it in. It is a really good song. I like is Back it? to December personally. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> we could put it through. I was gonna say, I'm like, mm. hey, I, I'd be okay with I don't that. Even remember I'd be, I'd be okay with it. Are, 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 I don't so are we rewriting Enchanted, history? which tells you how. Do you that want? Doesn't I feel like Enchanted isn't an accurate reflection of Taylor Swift. I don't know what Matt's saying, but that's my take. I don't think that's a big it's, enough it's song. It's a super strong love song. But I... So it's mine or Sparks Fly? Yes. I mean, I like Sparks Fly better. All right, Sparks Fly it is. I... Okay, that's fine. Mean doesn't make the cut? No. You're picking Enchanted over Mean? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Okay, that's fair. Mean stupid. As long as Red made it in. Yes. That's my favorite of this whole era. Yes, we know. I'm just, well, the podcast universe needs to know. That's <laughs> important. <laughs> All right. I'm glad I could be a tiebreaker. I'm curious. All right. So we have our four that are moving on. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, wow. I don't know how that happened, but those are the four we have. So we have Sparks Fly and Enchanted from Speak Now, and we have Red and All Too Well for red and yeah those are the two i thought we were moving on from red but i would not have been able to tell you that sparks fly was going to be the second i thought dear i couldn't convince you about dear john uh but no you're surprised you convinced me about enchanted though yeah i don't get it i don't get it uh, i'll have to hash that out with Kristen later anyway yes. <laughs> but yes that will do it we have our four that will move on from the experimental era we will be back next week to talk about the pop era, the most songs we have to get through because it is the it has three albums. Um, and yeah, 1989, Reputation and Lover. Uh, yeah, if you thought this podcast was this episode was long with 30 songs. Oh, boy. Yeah. 46 songs next time. I think it's the most interesting era uh, that we have to talk about next because I think it's the I think it has some real high highs, but it absolutely has some low ass lows and it has your single f on it it has we will get to as both next episode you have two of them actually two of them on the same record (laughs) oh boy oh boy that thing oh yeah we'll talk about lover but anyways uh yeah thank you for joining us for this part two of the taylor eras tournament here at the media boat podcast for our march madness spectacular for 2023 we'll be back next week for part three if you want to learn more, go to mediaboatpodcast.com. You can see a, a place where all of these will be posted, as well as our regular podcasts. If you want to listen to this in audio form, these go up every week on our podcast feed. You can find that anywhere on uh, podcast services that you subscribe to. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, search Media Boat Podcast, and you'll find us. And then. We are also do a regular podcast where we talk about all sorts of media, movies, video games, and music, and video, video games, and music, and television. That's the one I forgot. Television, and all that stuff, and more. So tune into that every week on Saturdays, and we record video versions of those, too, on YouTube.com. Just search Media Boat Podcast to find our channel. All right, that'll do it. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next time. See you guys then, or you can listen, if you're from the future, you can listen to all of this right now.